At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Coming up on episode 236 of Wheel Bearings, it's just Sam and Robbie this week with the GMC Sierra, Subaru WRX, VW GTI, the new Morgan three-wheeler, Polestar's new aluminum platform, adaptive headlight rules, Virgin Hyperloop shifts to cargo, and driving top-down year-round. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Bearings episode 236. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. I am Roberto Baldwin from The Verge. I just like seeing the, the Verge this week. Is that new? It is new. They uh, they they reached out. I said yes, and now we have a uh, mutual business understanding and how you know as a as a writer and a publisher try to. To, to, to navigate the weird, weird world of media. <laughs> well, that's always good to have that, uh, that mutual understanding, that mutual yes. business understanding. Yes. Uh, and uh, Nicole is, I think, back at Disney again this week with her whole family, I believe. Lucky. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go buy rocks today. <laughs> 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 Which is just like Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so so what, what are you driving this week? This week, I drove uh, two vehicles. If you are in your 20s or you're a fan of uh, fun, uh, enthusiast cars, uh, maybe you'll be a little jealous. Uh, I drove the 2022 Subaru WRX and the Volkswagen, the new Volkswagen GTI. Uh, let's, let, let's jump into the WRX. I love, love, love the WRX. Now, that's me in the car. <laughs> <laughs> driving the car the exterior is it's very it feels uh at one point sort of plain like the car just sort of blends in but at another instance that that weird cladding is also kind of it's the subarus don't subaru doesn't typically make a pretty car how's that they make <laughs> yeah. cars and this is from someone who's had who's owned multiple subarus who's loved all of the subarus um, who is a fan of Subaru vehicles, uh, but they're not like yeah, they're, they're they're not beautiful. They're not Porsches. They're not Ferraris. They're not even like in some cases Fords. Um, <clears throat> they're something else. And if you can get past the exterior of the WRX, you're going to have a great time. Especially if you're a fan of that vehicle and if you're a fan of that 
that gearbox, and if you're a fan of that uh, that turbo, um, I owned a WRX in 2002. I feel like they haven't really changed the gearing or the turbo lag since then. <laughs> and you know what? That's fine. <laughs> oh, sorry, 2004 WRX is what I had. Uh, yeah, the fifth generation. It is. It's. It's. It's great behind the wheel. It has this really, really short first and second gear, um, which uh, I know throws a lot of people. It makes them very. Uh, like, what the hell is going on? Because a lot of vehicles, when you get into them today, like you can get up to almost 60 miles an hour in first gear, which makes zero sense. But sure, why not? Um, this is a very. You know. This and they, you know they 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 build this for rallying, and you want you know a nice short just bomb 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 up until third to to have that torque. Um, to get up hills and over dirt and jump precariously close to uh, spectators. Um, it has uh, 271 horsepower, um, 258 pound-feet of the torque, um, and you, if you, once you figure out how to drive that vehicle, it'll pay off. You, you're using every ounce of that power. Um, the, the, the suspension, the handling is outstanding. Uh, I, I, every, I live... Near some nice twisty roads that are nice and twisty, but are not good roads. Uh, the good roads I have to go over a bridge. Um, they're very. Well, what do you mean by good roads? Like you know, they are that seem like they've been paved within the last ten years, or yeah, they they, they they don't feel like they've been paved or paid attention to. There's a lot of ruts, a lot of bumps, a lot of. Uh, if I drive a lot of performance vehicles on there, I'm just getting tossed about. So in other words, the perfect road for a rally car. They are the perfect road for a rally car. That's what they are. Um, I've, I've driven the STI on those, these roads. I've driven the WRX on these roads. And they just, they just chew up these roads like there's, there's – yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, no big deal. Like nothing else like the WRX and the STI can handle the roads. Uh, everything, you know, Veyrons, Ferraris, uh, Corvettes, anything else I've driven on this road, you're, you're getting tossed about a bit when you're going around corners because there's just dips – and just hard, you know, like lifts because there's tree trunks that are, you know, there's there's roots. Everything is messing up these poor roads, um, and so you're you're like, okay, let me slow down, let me do this, let me get tossed about, let me, the, no, the WRX, up, good to go, ready to rock. Um, yeah, I, uh, it, it has it, it, and here's the fun is that it's it's all these things that make it a rally car and then barely some stuff that bring it into the 21st century. <laughs> like the, the infotainment system is, it's fine. Subaru's infotainment system, it, it's, you're better off. It's, it's essentially like, hey, plug in your phone is the Subaru infotainment system. So yeah, plug in your phone. You're, you're going to be fine. Um, everything. I mean, it has Starlink, which I've never used. I've never called anybody. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, uh, the seats are, are are comfortable if you're a fan of sort of sporty seats. Um, it has this wonderful. It has that. It has that WRX uh, exhaust note, which, you know, if you've ever hung around people who vape a lot, you probably heard it. Uh, <laughs> it is. I I I, I, I it, feel it like is a unique sound. There's nothing else it is, quite like it, it you know, from that Boxer four cylinder. Yes, that Boxer four cylinder is is something else. It's 2.4 liter turbocharged Boxer. Um, when I had my 2004, the uh, gentleman that would work on it for me used to call it the sewing machine. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's a that's a good description. Yeah, he's like, oh, uh, do you need a oil change in your sewing machine? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Um, yeah, it has eyesight. It has all this, you know, 
this stuff, you, you definitely have to get it as a manual transmission. This is very much an enthusiast vehicle. This is where, you know, on one hand, you have all these, like, you know, pretty nice Subarus that, you know, they have CVTs, but they do what they need to, that, that what needs to be done. They have a lot of room. You can throw some dogs in the back. And then on the other hand, you have the WRX and the STI and the BRZ. So you have the, these almost conflicting uh, personalities that are coming out of Subaru. You have this very utilitarian uh, part of the company, and then you have this very enthusiast part of the company. And um, I'm a fan of actually both. I wish I do wish you know some of the you know the Impreza. I wish it had more power. Um, it feels just sort of like eh. Um, but yeah, I, you know what I miss? I, uh, it's a sedan. I wish it was a wagon. But it almost this is this is this is where I am right now because of driving this car. The plan was to sell my 2014 BRZ. Wait a year. Wait till the second uh, year of the new BRZ, and then buy that because I love the new GR86, new BRZ, outstanding. That has been thrown. <laughs> um, it, it, because of this new super, uh, the, the WRX. So I'm now I'm like, well, maybe I should just get a WRX. I mean, I had a WRX before. Why don't I just go back to a WRX? Even though it's not a wagon, and I, I, I dearly wish it was a wagon, but it is not. Yeah, it's a shame. They, they, used, to, they used to have that <clears throat> hatchback that was almost wagon-like. Very yeah, that was my that was my snowboarding machine. I would take it out to Tahoe at all wheel drive. I put all seasons on it. It had you know turbocharged uh, boxer engine, and I I love that. It, it was my favorite car ever. That 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 vehicle, that two thousand the bug eyed uh, WRX sport mm-hmm. wagon. So, <sighs> so it's a it's a toughie. If you're a fan of WRX. Um, I know you're, you're probably. I know people got really angry about the design. I've, people have been getting angry about Subaru designs for a long time. That's sort of like par for the well, course. Well, I mean, that's been that goes back pretty much to the the, the very first Subaru. They've, yeah, they've, they've always been a little um, unique. Yes, you know? yeah, and they, they got they got less unique, you know, over the last decade or so. But but you know, now they're they're adding some of the the weirdness back. I mean, you know, you remember the the XT Coupe. From the, oh, yeah. the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. That was such a fun little weird car. Yeah, like, I mean, they've, they've had a, they've had a lot of strange designs. Yes, yes, and I, I for one, um, and uh, I am ex- uh, happy whenever I like weird cars. So um, I wish this one was a little bit weirder. It 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 does have like this sort of eh combined with like blah. On this one, but I, I they they should have gone a little bit more weird. But I know I, I feel like they're probably like we got to sell a lot of these because we're a small player, really in the grand scheme of things compared to everyone else, and we can't just keep hoping that uh, Toyota kind of, will help us sell cars. <laughs> kind of a strange design choice to add the 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 black cladding around the wheel arches. You know, um, the the previous generation didn't have that. You know, just had sheet metal right down to the the wheel arches. And now we're, you know you've got it's like they're trying to make it look more crossover SUV like trying to give it that kind of feel you know kind of outback kind were, of thing were people uh, were, were they were they saying hey you know I'm getting a lot of scratches on the wheel <laughs> of my vehicle could you throw some cladding was that a thing people were doing with with WRXs uh, I mean maybe if they were, were actually using it as it was you know designed to be used you know as a rally car it's possible I guess. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. All right, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, so there, there you go. WRX. Uh, I really liked it. Um, and now we're going to talk about the 2022 Golf GTI. Um, 
This is uh, the only, you, can get, you can only get the Golf GTI and the Golf R now in the United States. They got rid of the the little low NTS because no one was buying it. Everyone just bought the GTI. This is essentially what what happened, yeah. which is you know fine. I understand. Um, I, I I it was delivered on I believe a on a Tuesday. I didn't have a chance to drive it until Wednesday morning. I was very busy. And I went out to the car, and I sat in the car, and it was an automatic transmission, and my heart sank. Oh. <sighs> there should be no such thing as a, a GTI with an automatic. It's, well, I mean, that's that's just how we are as a human race now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so it has that seven-speed uh, Tiptronic automatic transmission. Um, I wish the gearing was a little bit more aggressive. But that's only because I was excited about driving a GTI. It has paddle shifters, so you can take care of you can you can use the paddle shifters. Um, I've driven the R with a manual transmission, and that was uh, fine. Um, I wish the transmission was a little bit better. It feels a little sludgy um, on the R, um, but yeah, whatever. You're you're, you're buying an R, you're you're going to be happy. So this is the 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 Golf GTI, and having driven both of them, I'm going to say that I prefer the the Golf the GTI. Versus the R. I know that's that's that may be blasphemy. It's it's front wheel drive as opposed to all wheel drive, um, but it's it's a fun little car. It's it's everything that a little hatch needs to be. Um, I, I drove it around town. I had a good time. It's nice and small. It's easier to park. It's it's got the the exhaust note that I believe is uh, somehow fake a little bit. I think they say so. <laughs> it doesn't enhanced. matter. It's enhanced. That's the word. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. I, I don't care. And we're, we're, we're in a world where EVs have make space noises. Who ca- I don't care. <laughs> if you have to do weird things to the exhaust note to pipe it into the speakers, yeah, who cares? <laughs> what, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to drive. I haven't driven the new generation uh, GTI or Golf R yet, but it, um, at the, the Mama Rally in 2019, I think, <clears throat> I got a chance to drive the GTI and the Golf R back-to-back at Road America. And I agree. I, I liked the GTI then. I mean, this was the previous generation. I liked the GTI better than the, the R, even though the, the R was more powerful. Um, I think, you know, the extra weight and the all-wheel drive um, kind of, it, it smoothed things out a little bit too much. And it, it felt, you know, while it had higher limits, it didn't feel as tossable, you know, because it, it would rein things in. Whereas, you know, the GTI, you know, still had that classic GTI feel of you can fling it around corners, you know, it felt more nimble. And, yeah, it didn't, didn't accelerate to 60 quite as quick, but it was still plenty quick enough. And it, it had that sporty feel that you want out of a GTI. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's we, sh- we, sh- we should, uh, and, you know, you're thinking about, well... That's, you know, it's it's in your brain. When you look on paper, you're like, well, I should want the R. I should want the R. But if you're thinking about the R, go drive the GTI. If you absolutely positively have to have that power, if you absolutely positively have to have all-wheel drive, fine, get the R. But drive them both. Drive them back-to-back. Uh, if you have a, Hopefully, they'll, they'll, if, if you're a fan of manual transmissions, they'll have some in stock. Um uh, assuming yeah. they have anything in stock, but yeah, assuming they have that's the they, that's the that's the other. <laughs> assuming the they didn't all burn up on that uh, cargo ship on oh, the I know, Atlantic the, last week with those Aventadors. Oh, that's that's a that's a ooh, that's a that's a tough. Ooh. Um, yeah, drove it around. Um, I think they're they're 
combined is 28. I think I got 27.1, which is fine. Um, I had it for a few days. I, I really, really enjoyed it, um, except for those buttons. This, this, this weird hap... I don't know what the hell. It's those buttons, <laughs> man. And you, you're, they're, like, they're, they're, it's got touch controls, right? Yeah, and the touch controls are on the um, they're on the steering wheel and they're on the dash, and they're just they're very they they're really tough to get used to. And you're gonna you know you bought a car, you're gonna get used to what what you know how it's controlled. You know they're buttons, so they're they're actually there. Um, but I found myself trying to turn the heater down, and all I kept doing was turning the sound up because <laughs> the buttons underneath the infotainment system don't light up at night, which makes so that's where the the I I know I know that's, that's where <laughs> that's where the that's the just heat, wrong. That's so there's there's like uh it's like the I mean, if you can't feel for it, you know if you if if you have to see it, light it up. Exactly, exactly. Like make them the little weird touch controls. Um. And so that's, uh, you know, on either side of it are the, the heat and the cool. And then there's the audio. And somehow I just kept turning, either turning it up or turning down. It, anyway, I wasn't adjusting the temperature. I was doing something else. And it was it was getting kind of annoying. And I couldn't see it. And I just couldn't see, you know, what was going on unless I turned on the overhead light, which is, that's not a, that's not a great, that's not a great look. Like every car it's, that has like climate controls has had some sort of illumination backlit or something. Yeah. I don't. It was it was really kind of annoying. Um, and you, it's you're just like, oh, this car is great. And then that happens. You're like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see. The car I was driving, the base price for the GTI was thirty five thousand um, dollars. It's gotten up there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the one I was driving was 36. Yeah, they didn't throw uh, too much too much stuff on there. Um, and I then like just the DSG. Yeah, and then the Subaru, the starting the WRX, the starting price is 29. So I don't know what the they didn't the they didn't have like a real Monroney for this. It's uh, I'm a, it doesn't give me the price what of everything that's on it. Uh, and I'm too lazy to add stuff. Um, uh, oh, they just threw some a stereo speaker and, and a moonroof, so I don't know. It was probably about thirty-three, thirty-four. But for money, for fun, the STI, better value. But not, I'm sorry, not the the not the STI, the WRX. Yeah, WRX. You're, uh, it doesn't look as cool. The 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 the, the GTI is is. I mean, it still looks like a G, It still looks like a Golf. It looks cool. Mm -hmm. um, it had a nice bright red version for me. Um, they gave me a blue. Uh, a, a blue WRX, um, but for just old school, like going for it, manual transmission, fun. Uh, the, the WRX is probably the way to go. For uh, yeah, but you can't. You really can't go wrong with either of them. To be to be completely honest, except for the color, <laughs> or except for the design. That the, yeah yeah you'll get you'll get yeah. Used but when, to it. once you you know once you're behind the uh, the steering wheel, you don't notice the design anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, you're kind of like, ah, this is fine. Whatever. Yeah. You don't, yeah. You don't, you're like, what does it have this? No, I don't care. Does it have all these, like, future? No, no, who cares? Who cares? No, who cares? You get them, you get a, you're, you're rolling around a six speed manual transmission. You're, you're, you're blasting through first, second, and third in about 10 seconds. Like, you don't, you know, who cares? Who cares? You're, yeah. you're having the time of your life driving over roads that would destroy other vehicles. And Including like, probably ah. that GTI. Including that GTI, yeah, I, I, yeah, the GTI gets tossed a t tossed a bit on the, on those 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 uh, 
those back roads near my house. Fortunately, I can go over a bridge, nice, smooth, twisty roads that you can take anything on. Just on my near my house, the twisty roads are also pitted and whatever. <laughs> Trust me, I'm I'm quite familiar with pitted roads, especially this time of year here in Michigan. Over the last two and a half weeks, we've cycled back and forth every few days between temperatures in the, the teens, low teens and 20s, up to 50 and back down again and back up again. And, and oh. each time it got cold, it snowed and then it mel- melted and then froze again. And Michigan Avenue just down the road here, you know, it's got these huge craters in it now. It's, it's, it's the typical Michigan February. I've driven through Detroit a few times and through Michigan, and uh, you're just driving like, oh, my God, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I think there was a bug in there. I think there was a Volkswagen Beetle in that hole. That's yeah. what... <laughs> well, for, so fortunately, I... the the, yeah, the, uh, the vehicle that I'm driving um, uh, has no problem with, with that sort of uh, stuff because I've got the 2022 GMC Sierra Limited AT4 um, uh, Duramax. So this is... Full-size GMC Sierra pickup, um, four-wheel drive, um, crew cab, short bed, uh, with the uh, the three-liter uh, inline-six diesel, uh, which is still a fantastic engine. Uh, and uh, so a few months ago, uh, GM, uh, GMC you know, announced a mid-cycle refresh for the Sierra, but it looks like initially... Um, you know the the refresh gives you know a, a re- redone front fascia uh, and a new interior, but it looks like uh, to for launch they're only launching that on the Denali uh, Denali Ultimate and the um, uh, the new AT4X trim. So basically, a couple of high end trim levels, and I'm guessing the the rest of the lineup will get it for the 2023 models. Um, and so if you look at the the GMC build and price site now, you'll see that all the 22s, they don't have the new, the refreshed ones listed on there yet. All the 22s are variations of Sierra Limited. So if you see Sierra Limited, that is actually basically a carryover 2021 model that, you know, as a 22. So it's a 2022 model, but it's unchanged from the 21. So they added the Limited in there to indicate that this is the, the older look and the older interior. Which is not bad, you know. It's 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 not fine. It's not quite up to the the premium look and feel inside of a Ram pickup, uh, but it's it's fine. Um, and the the AT4 is sort of the off road, the four wheel drive off road package. So this thing's got big uh, knobbly uh, all terrain tires on it, um, and it's got a two speed transfer case, um, so you can get four wheel drive low. Uh, if you're going over doing some rock crawling, and this thing, you know, it sits up a little bit higher than most of the other Sierras. Uh, you know, this this is a you know equivalent to like an F-150 Tremor, Ford F-150 Tremor, or uh, a Dodge Ram Rebel. Uh, that that type of setup. Uh, the um, the interior. This still has the older eight-inch touchscreen display with the older generation. Um, infotainment system, so it doesn't have the new Android Automotive infotainment system that was on the uh, 22 Tahoe that I drove a couple of months ago. Um, the and the 22 Yukons get that, and the the, the those that updated Denali and AT4X 
um, they have that. And presumably the rest of the lineup will be getting that for the 2023 models. So it's, you know, it's a perfectly workable system. Although, again, it's, it's funny, you know, after driving more and more vehicles with, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15-inch screens in there, the 8-inch display just seems so puny. You know, I mean, it's, it's a good-sized display, but it just seems so so tiny in this massive dashboard compared to the, the other stuff I've been driving lately. Um, and But it does have support for wireless uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, as a, one of the, the neat features that um, GM put into the current generation Sierra and Silverado uh, when they launched them a couple of years ago, uh, in the the back seats, uh, there's there's a you'll see a little uh, loop uh, sticking out from the the side of the the seat cushion and the in the second row seats. Uh, you pull that, and the the middle section of the the seat back uh, on each side is hinged. It opens up, and there's a little hidden storage compartment behind the seat there, between the the back of the cab, the back wall of the cab, and the seat. So you know, if you want to stash some uh, some valuables that uh, you want to keep out of sight, you know, that aren't stuff that's not too large, you can stick it in there. It'll be nice and secure. Um, the uh, the truck that I'm driving also has the I think what they call it the multiflex tailgate, which you can put in about 62 different configurations. <laughs> uh, so you have the uh, the center section of the tailgate that can drop down separately from the main tailgate, and it's got a piece that flips up, so you can use that as a step when it's down, uh, or use it as a backstop when you've got the main tailgate up, um, or you know just leave leave that part down and and leave the middle section down. So if you've got long items to carry, so they're they're sloping down towards the front of the, the bed, so they don't they're less likely to slide out the back. Uh, so a lot of different ways you can use that. Very very handy. Um, lots of USB ports inside the cab, both USB A and USB C. Uh, there's also a wireless charging pad. Um, one of my but one of my favorite aspects of this truck um, and the other current generation GM full size uh, trucks and utilities is that three liter diesel. It is a fantastic engine. Um, I was, when they when they launched these new trucks in, was it 2019 they came out, I think. Um, you know, I was, I was shocked, you know, when I, I was at the reveal event for, actually for both the Sierra and the Silverado, the Silverado was shown first and they announced this engine. Um, you, know, it, you know, in 2019, they launched an all new diesel engine for these things, it wasn't a, a derivative of anything they'd done before, like the the the, diesel, the V6 diesels that uh, Ford and and uh, Ram had in their trucks. <clears throat> this was this is a brand new design that shared nothing with any existing diesel, <clears throat> um, and it's it's really good. It's relatively quiet. It's extremely smooth. Uh, you don't feel any vibration from it at all because it is, of course, an inline six cylinder, which are which is probably um, the second most perfect um, engine configuration you can have after a V12, uh, which is the same thing, but <laughs> two of them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 277 horsepower, 460 foot-pounds of torque. Um, the, um, the version, the, the, the configuration that I have, which is the, the four-wheel drive AT4 uh, short box uh, crew cab, has a maximum tow rating of uh, 8,800 pounds. Um, depending on which configuration, like if you get the two-wheel drive uh, short box 
uh, non-AT4, you can get up to 9,200 pounds towing. It, you know, it's it's roughly you know in that 9,000 pound class, which is <clears throat> which is very very good. It's it's enough for the vast majority of what most people are ever going to need uh, in terms of towing. Um, you know, if you need anything more than that, you're probably going to be stepping up to a, a heavy duty truck anyway. Um, but the the most imp- probably the most impressive thing about this engine is the fuel economy. Um, you know, I, w- I was just driving the, the F-150 um, hybrid a few weeks ago, and, you know, it was very cold weather when I had that. Um, and I think I, I got, what, 16 or 17 miles per gallon with that thing. It was not quite as cold, but it was still pretty cold over the last several days as I was driving um, the, uh, the Sierra. Um, and it is EPA-rated at uh where is it here um in for with the four-wheel drive at4 and this is as i said with the all-terrain off-road tires so this is not the most efficient version of this at 20 city 23 miles per gallon highway and 21 combined um depending on which you know if you get uh, i think the the two-wheel drive um base models uh you can uh they have up to uh 30 miles per gallon highway rating and about 23 or 24 highway our city um, driving around, you know, mixed driving over the last several days with the Sierra, I've been averaging 20, uh, 23 and a half miles per gallon. It's a this, big, tr- thing is huge. It is. This is a three ton truck, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, this, this is, you know, to, to get 23 miles per gallon driving around town with this thing, you know, almost 23 around town. Uh, on the highway, I've gotten as much as 25, 26 miles per gallon with this thing. Um, and as I said, you know, the AT4 is lifted. You know, it's got a higher ground clearance than the, the other trim levels. You know, it's, it's the off-road truck. And these are not roll, low-rolling resistance tires. These are big honking tires. Uh, you know, to get that, get, get that kind of fuel economy without even really trying is really, really impressive. So, you know, if, you know, at least until uh, the electric trucks become more widely available, if you, you know, if you need a full-size truck and you are concerned about fuel economy, um, which, you know, given the way fuel prices have gone in recent months, I think uh, it's up to almost five bucks a gallon out in California, right? Uh, for oh, gas. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and especially if you're going to tow, if you want to tow, I would absolutely recommend that you get the diesel, uh, yeah. because one of the big advantages to the diesel engine is they they really work well under load, uh, and you know with with a gas engine, you know you can get you can actually get higher tow ratings with some of the gas engines uh, on the on the Sierra and 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 the other pickups as well, uh, but when you hook up a six five six seven thousand pound trailer on the back, your fuel economy usually gets cut in half. Or, or worse, you know, so instead of 20 miles per gallon, you might be getting 10 miles per gallon. With the the diesel, it's like, yeah, you got a trailer on the back, fine, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> you, you might drop by one mile per gallon, you know, at worst. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, you know, or if you're, if you're towing, you know, if you're hauling a lot of payload in the bed, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you're hauling some rocks home, uh, a lot of rocks home in the bed of this thing. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the diesel won't even flinch. Um, so if, if fuel economy is a concern, uh, then I would absolutely recommend getting, uh, the diesel option, 
uh, in in one of the GM trucks. Uh, Ford has is I don't know if they're still available, but they they've announced that they're discontinuing the diesel in the F one fifty, which you know given that they're about to launch the Lightning uh, is probably you know probably doesn't matter, uh, but. Uh, uh, I think Ram is still offering diesel for now, but I don't know how much longer it's going to be available. Um, I suspect that you know GM may keep this diesel going till the end of the current model cycle, so probably another two or three years uh, till they they redesign these trucks. Um, but uh, this, that it is definitely highly recommended um, in this thing because, as I said, it is smooth, quiet, and remarkably fuel efficient for a vehicle of this type. Um, the base price on the AT4, the limited AT4, um, is fifty-six thousand three hundred dollars, uh, and this one, the with the options it had on it, which includes the uh, the premium package that gets you the power rear sliding window, um, the premium infotainment with nav, um, the wireless uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, the wireless charging pad, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, that adds about 3,400 bucks, another two grand for the technology package with all the extra cameras and, um, the, uh, uh, surround vision with, uh, uh, trailer camera, uh, rear camera mirror, um, and assorted other stuff all, all told, uh, including the $1,700 destination charge, $64,715. So this is not an inexpensive truck, um, but it's also (laughs) not, you know, when you, price it out you know against a comparably equipped ford or ram um you know it's going to be in this they're going to be in the same ballpark and unfortunately this is the reality of the world we live in where you know uh trucks i mean everything's getting really expensive all vehicles are getting really expensive but especially trucks um but uh if you if you need one um and oh the the other thing uh, i should mention you know is even with that kind of off-road suspension package and those big tires, this thing actually rides really well. Um, you know, and it's, it's really well controlled that, uh, you know, the driving dynamics are, are outstanding. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the rear coil springs like the Ram does. Uh, it's still got leaf springs on the back, but it, it feels really stable. There's, you know, minimal body motion, even with nothing in the bed. Uh, and you know, on the, the way the pavement around here is at this particular moment in time, uh, you know, it just, you know, rolls right over those giant potholes and doesn't even doesn't even flinch. Uh, so there there is that. Uh, so you know, sixty five grand, uh, not cheap, but it is uh, it is an excellent truck. Yeah, trucks are powerful, expensive, except for the Maverick, which I'll talk, which I got now, but I'll talk about next week, and uh, that is a game changer. Which is kind of a backwards because this is sort of trucks we had before. But anyway, next week we'll talk about the Maverick. Yep. All right. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Uh, so let's get into some of the items of the week. Um, big news this week. I think probably, probably, I would say probably the biggest news of the week. Uh, there's an all-new Morgan three-wheeler. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for those of you that uh, aren't uh, weirdos that, that follow Alex Roy. Um, <laughs> That's Morgan, the only person, anything Morgan, I always, so I always think about Alex. I'm like, yeah, what is Alex doing right now? <laughs> Uh, well, he just got his his Tesla towed this week, uh, and uh, uh, it was having some challenges getting it back. And he he posted a fun little uh, video standing outside the uh, the tow facility, uh, about twenty feet away from his car, um, and contemplating on on Instagram whether or not he should just use the summon feature to uh, to just extract his car uh, without uh, going in and paying whatever the exorbitant charges are for. For getting towed from a place where he was actually legally parked. Yeah, um, I don't. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> the the Morgan three wheeler. Uh, for those not familiar with Morgan, uh, small British uh, specialty sports car maker that's been around for well over a century. Um, until relatively recently, they were still making cars that uh, had frames made of ash, uh, as in wood. Um, and, uh, uh, they also, uh, make, make this, uh, peculiar little machine called the three wheeler, a trike, uh, two front wheels, one, one rear wheel. And until, until last year, uh, Morgan three wheelers, um, didn't look much different than they did in the 1930s. Um, and they, uh, they used a, a V twin motorcycle engine that was hanging off the front, uh, of the, uh, of the vehicle. And, and those, uh, are getting to be pretty much impossible to get certified for emissions almost anywhere. Uh, so they have comp- designed a completely new three-wheeler that uh, you know still looks like a Morgan, but now you don't have that, that V-twin air-cooled engine on the front. They uh, adopted a, a Ford 1.5-liter three-cylinder, um, made it up to uh, a Miata five-speed transmission, uh, driving the rear wheel. Um, and uh, uh, what do you think of this thing? I, you know what? It's weird. Um, I don't know if I'd want a Morgan. I, 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 they've seen cars with four wheels, so they know they're out there. They know, <laughs> <laughs> and they make cars with four wheels. Yeah, I know. They, just this, you know, the the Morgan three wheeler is always just going to be an oddity, and something that you you buy and be like, hey, look at this. You know, if 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 a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a Morgan show up, everyone's going to ignore the Lamborghini and the Ferrari. That's like, because you've seen those. Yeah. Like most people haven't seen a Morgan three wheeler in real life. It's 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 it it is you know they make like four a year or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I, more power to them. It looks cool. I like the way it looks. Uh, I like that they they put in a, a an actual car engine in there for emissions. Uh, it still has a manual transmission, which is great. So yeah, no, I, I mean if Morgan called me up and said, hey, do you want to drive this around? I'll be like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Do you want to buy this? That's a totally different, you know. That's a whole other conversation. <clears throat> but uh, for the for those who are who are who are interested in something that's different, 
um, this is definitely uh, different. Um, and, and, you know, all your Miata friends are going to be like, ooh, wow, wow. <laughs> I, I like the uh, the photo in here uh, with the uh, the suitcase strapped to the side on the uh, on the driver's side. Yeah, uh, you just strap your stuff to the side of the car. That's <laughs> like it's yeah, a, it, you know, so you get a little extra cushioning, you know. But when you get uh, t-boned by somebody, yeah, like you're like it's a horse. Like yeah. you just have a saddlebag. Yeah, saddlebags for your vehicle. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's you know again, it's it's a Morgan three wheeler. It is it's. You know, you're going to buy it, and you're going to drive it around, and you're going to turn a lot of heads. You're going to have some fun. Um, and then, you know, you'll put it away, and then you'll get in your, you know, Toyota Camry and go to work that day. Yeah. It's a great Sunday morning, you know, go out for a ride in the country. Yeah. It's it's a cruising around car. Although, you know, I know Alex, you know, has used his uh, when, when he was living in New York. I don't know if he even still has one. He's owned a couple of three-wheelers over the years. You know, he used it to, to cruise around Brooklyn and Manhattan. So, Yeah, yeah, that's Alex, though. He was going yeah. to summon his car out of the police uh, impound lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, uh, kind of the opposite end of the scale from the Morgan is uh, Polestar. Um, one of their upcoming models, um, Polestar has uh, decided to go with a... A very uh, unique and original naming scheme for its models with uh, single-digit um, numerical name uh, model names. Um, they've got the Polestar 1, which is their original plug-in hybrid coupe, the Polestar 2 sedan. they got the Polestar 3 crossover coming later this year. Um, and I think, I think coming late 2023 or early 2024, um, there, there's going to be a Polestar 4, which is a smaller crossover. And then there's the Polestar 5, which is their flagship um, sedan that's coming and uh, the 5 is all, right now all the, the Polestars are sharing platforms with their parent company Volvo um, so the, the, the Polestar 2 is the same architecture as the Volvo XC40 the Polestar 3 is going to be sharing its platform with the XC90 replacement um, the Polestar 5 is an all new platform purpose built for Polestar and from the Polestar 5 onwards, um, they apparently are, are no longer going to be sharing platforms with Volvo. Uh, everything is going to be purpose-built for Polestar. Um, and this one is, uh, is kind of interesting. Um, and <laughs> you know, Polestar has an R&D facility in Coventry, England. Um, and uh, apparently they, they've... Uh, Hired a lot of engineers uh, from uh, another British company uh, that's based uh, in in uh, eastern, a few about a hundred miles or so uh, east of Coventry, uh, maybe it's less than that. Uh, a place called Hethel, um, called Lotus, um, and uh, you would never guess that uh, from looking at this particular architecture. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's an aluminum space frame. Um, that's uh, bonded. Uh, looks like a lot of aluminum extrusions uh, mixed with a few stampings and, and some castings. Uh, most of it is is glued together. Um, and uh, if you are a fan of Lotus, um, you would probably find this approach uh, very familiar um, because this is something that Lotus invented for the uh, the Elise uh, some twenty five odd years ago, um, and. Um, it's since been used to varying degrees by a number of other manufacturers, the same concept. Uh, the F-150 um, does, has a lot of bonded aluminum. So basically this is 
aluminum pieces that are glued together, not welded, not riveted, not bolted, but glued together. What do you think? I mean, it's 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 great that they're going for you know anything that's more lightweight but still strong um, is good for an EV. Um, it's also something that's it's a, it's it's proven to work. And that's the that's that's the thing. If if it's if it's proven to work, it's worked for Lotus, worked for four, the F one fifty, which is the number one selling thing ever. Uh, then I, I think they're 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 on the right track. I think as a sort of a smallish company with a lot of money behind them and a sort of biggerish company behind them. If you go to the to the Volvo the Volvo uh, headquarters in Sweden, there is a Polestar their like little headquarters is there in in there's like a little box. They actually have like a box building that they built. It's just it's like a big cube uh, yeah. on the on the campus, which is it's kind of cool cuz you're just driving and like boom, there's like a little Polestar thing. So, you know that you know they, even though they're they're sort of moving away from that that uh that platform they're still going to have that dna of safety when it comes to volvo i mean those they're they're, they're not going to want to be the ones that are like hey we did something that's a little bit unsafe <laughs> that's not yeah that's not and then that's not in 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 the, the volvo or the or really the swedish dna at all yeah um and as you said you know the the ability to make something that's really strong and really lightweight um is is going to be important for evs because it's funny when actually when i was coming home the other day after i um i kept coming home from the airport uh right after i picked up that sierra uh i was waiting at a traffic light um you know just after i got off the freeway you know down the road here from my house um and as i was sitting at the red light coming around the corner in the opposite direction was a, a big white uh hummer ev which is the opposite of lightweight <laughs> <laughs> it's nine thousand pound curb weight. Yeah, it's like, like GM could have used a little bit of this sort of approach, I think, with with Hummer and and the upcoming uh, Silverado EV, because um, those things are just absurdly heavy. I think that um, the the seats in the Hummer EV probably weigh more than a Polestar. Yeah, a- <laughs> yeah, they probably have uh, steel frame seats or something. <sighs> cast iron seats. Cast iron seats. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, let's see what else we got. Um, adaptive headlights. So, have you have you ever driven anything with these new adaptive headlight uh, systems? Yes, um, and they're awesome. And in only in Europe, obviously. Um, and uh, I think For every now. automotive journalist at some point in their career has written an article about why don't we have adaptive headlights in this country? What is wrong with this country? I think we've all read that study from I think 2012 or 2015, where like once it blinded a motorcyclist, or like, yep, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's it is really it's crazy impressive how well they work when they work well, and it's also insane that we haven't had them here. Yeah, and for those not familiar with them, I mean, you know, traditional headlights that we've been using for hundred years, you know, whether they're old seal beams or more modern halogens or LEDs, you know, for the most part, they basically consist of having a light source, you know, a bulb of some sort um, and a reflector and, and a lens that casts a, a fixed pattern on the road. You turn on the lights and, you know, at, at night you can see there's a fixed lighting pattern and it never, almost never changes. It, the only The only variation we've had is... Uh, some lights that will actually uh, steer into corners, um, but it's still the same pattern. It's just 
being shifted to one side or the other when you turn the steering wheel. Uh, so, you know, if you've got low beams, you know, you're going to have a limited area that you can see with your high beams on, it lights up a different area and everything within those high beams, um, that's coming towards you is going to be blinded. Uh, and the idea with the, the adaptive headlights is now moving to something more sophisticated that, um, has a, some sort of mechanism to control, um, the, the, uh, light pattern that you're, you know, this, the, that you're putting on the road. Uh, so you can put, have different patterns for different situations. So as you're driving down the road, if the sensor detects a, a vehicle coming towards you or, you know, a motorcycle or pedestrian, it can, or actually mostly for the vehicles, it can actually dim, uh, or dip the, the pixels, the lights in just a portion of your field of view, uh, where that vehicle is. So, it's like, you know, putting on the high beams just for that region where that vehicle is. Everything around it is still lit up with your high beams, uh, or, or low beams for or, that vehicle. Low beams for the vehicle that's coming yeah. towards you. Everything else around it is high beams, so you can still see what's there. Or when it detects a pedestrian, it can light up that pedestrian. Um, I, I remember at the uh, the LA Auto Show a couple years ago when Audi was showing off the uh, the e-tron Sportback. They had that demo that they were doing. Uh, off to one side, showing the different kinds of lighting patterns where you can have uh, brighter strips emanating from where your tires, your front tires are, and showing um, you know where your tires are pointed. So if you turn the steering wheel, you'll see those those lines where your tires are moving to one side or the other. Um, you know, so you can you can see if you're going you know heading straight down the the center of the lane or going shifting to one side or the other um all kinds of funky things that you can do with these things and now they're finally going to be legal here in the u.s pretty soon finally and you know what's crazy is that a lot of automakers uh, especially european automakers have been the hardware's there on the vehicles mm -hmm. they're like we we keep putting the hardware as soon as uh, nitsa changes the rule it's just the software update we can just turn it on yeah and if you i think the last 20 years People have gotten way more excited about driving around with their high beams on all the time, blinding me and blinding everybody. I hate the people who are driving. <laughs> well, if, if you can't see without the high beams, you shouldn't be driving at night. That's that's you know when there's other cars around, you shouldn't be driving at night. That's that's the real uh, issue. But um, to sort of solve that 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 horrible horrible habit and and crime against humanity. Um, now you could drive around with your high beams and not blind everyone else on the road because every other vehicle, whether you're driving behind them or they're coming at you, that gets cropped out by the lights. So, you know, if someone's right behind me with their high beams on, I'm not going to go blind, but I'm going to get the benefit of all their extra light because everything that go, all the light that's sort of going around me is lighting up the world. And I can like, Ooh, look at that. Yeah. So the national highway traffic safety administration announced that, uh, they're, they're, drafting the uh, final version of the new regulations now um, and should be out in the next couple of months. Uh, and then 45 days after that's published to the Federal Register, those adaptive headlights will be, uh, will be legal. Uh, I, I sent a note to, uh, to Audi to ask if they're going to um, have an update that's available for their existing vehicles that have the adaptive lights. And they said um, they're looking at it. it depends on exactly how the regulation is worded. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they, um, you know, they, they may well have an update. So if you have a, a recent Audi model that's got the adaptive headlight uh, hardware on there, you may you may be getting a software update available that, uh, that you know makes your lights much work much better. And Audi's really been pushing it this uh, for, <laughs> for years. And I've ta- I've talked to Audi more than any other automaker about this. They're they're it's, it's sort of their jam. And so I, I'm sure there was a big party when this happened, and I'm sure there'll be another big party when it's available and when they can, when and, you know, if, depending on what the hardware is and, like they said, the rules, uh, they can turn it on and make all their, just delight their customers, I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, next up, uh, Virgin Hyperloop um, made some uh, made an announcement this week. Um, it, you know, for, for those that have been following the, the Hyperloop for almost a decade now since uh, Elon Musk first announced the the idea. Uh, not that it was, you know, an entirely original idea, which his stuff rarely ever is. Um, but, you know, but when, when he put out his, his little white paper, you know, putting, you know, uh, announcing this concept. What if we concept, did this? Uh, you know, he said, I'm not going to do this. We're not going to, we're not going to build this, but I'm open sourcing it. So anybody else can try this. And, a whole bunch of companies popped up, including one that was originally called Hyperloop One, or it was Hyperloop Technologies, and then eventually became Hyperloop One, and then got bought out by Virgin. Um, uh, and they've been developing the idea. So far, nobody is even close to actually deploying it commercially. There's some some test tracks in various places around the world, including one near Las Vegas, um, and Virgin Hyperloop. Uh, announced this week that they are, uh, and and the idea of the Hyperloop is you've got these pods that go through these vacuum tubes at speeds up to 700 miles an hour. You know, get you from San Francisco to LA in 30 minutes. Um, you know, of course, you know to do that you have to accelerate the thing at at very high rates, um, and then decelerate it at very high rates. And I think. Um, you know, there, there's some challenges with that kind of acceleration or deceleration. That's this is why astronauts get a lot of special training uh, to to deal with that. Um, and uh, so Virgin Hyperloop announced that, yeah, um, we're not going to do passenger carrying with these things. Um, we're we're only going to do uh, for cargo for the time being. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna focus on on shipping cargo because cargo doesn't care how fast you accelerate it for, yeah. for the most part. I covered Hyperloop Technologies for uh, a number of years when it first came out, and uh, even then I was just like, "Well, this makes zero sense." But let's go for it. And, and you know, my 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 general uh, takeaway was a lot of stuff that's happening in the Hyperloop uh, space could be transferred to other uh, forms of of uh, transportation. But there, there's there's so many issues. Like first, uh, one issue is everything has to be vacuums. Sealed. Now I've been to a bunch of the Hyperloop events at uh, next to SpaceX, mm-hmm. where they have they've built a half mile or quarter mile uh, Hyperloop, like a miniature uh, scale uh, Hyperloop. And between each, and this is SpaceX, and it's next to SpaceX. You know, people who shoot rockets in the space. Um, and it was like colleges that come out and they put their little pot in and they shoot it down the the tube. It would take. They were always like, oh, it's only going to take like ten minutes to like create the vacuum and it would always take like 45 minutes so the beginning of the day i'm going around I'm talking to everyone i'm getting my interviews i'm doing my videos and then at the end of the day we're all just sitting there in the hot sun in la just baking waiting for things to go through a tube that we can't even see yeah <laughs> because, 
And so you have all. So first of all, you have to create a vacuum over hundreds of miles, and either like either you have to create like a bunch of chambers and then open them, close them while the the this little uh, pod is flying through this tube, or you have to create one giant vacuum, which makes zero sense. So there's there's that. There's also the infrastructure uh, issue. You have to get people to let you build a big tube on their land or buy land or buy infrastructure. And they're like, well, you can build it next to the trains. I'm like, well, we'll just build a better train. Yeah. <laughs> um, just upgrade the train tracks. Just upgrade the train tracks. And those are already there. And you can still use those for regular trains. It was, And, and the idea that you, people are going to be super happy to sit in a, in a tube, in a vacuum, in the dark. <laughs> Yeah. For any length of time, there's, there's just a lot, of, and they're they're not very big, and a train works much better. There's just this, all these like sort of issues, but it was always like, okay, well, some of this can can be transferred over to regular transportation, and of course, they're you know the the transportation of goods. I think they're trying to do something in, in Long Beach or San Pedro uh, um, along the lines with hypertube, hyper loop and tubes and and and, and goods. Um, but really, this is, I mean, if you've ever been to Costco or to a bank in the 90s where they had those little tubes and they stuck them into a vacuum and it got sucked in, it's that, except with people. And that's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah, I don't think I don't think people would enjoy that kind of trip very much. Yeah, that's the fundamental problem with, um, you know, with anything that is going at very high speeds is you have to get from zero speed to that high speed in some period of time. And to get you know, to do like between San Francisco and Los Angeles in, in three hours or in 30 minutes. I mean, you, you have to have a very high rate of acceleration and you know, the human body is not really designed for that kind of acceleration for the most part. Yeah. There's a sort of all like all on go. It's no, that's not, it's not it. And, and again, I mean, we can look at the rest of the world and say, Oh, like they have high speed trains where they're carrying hundreds of people at once as opposed to a pod. I don't. There was there. Yeah, there was just a lot of the uh, the infrastructure having to buy up all that land and pull all that. I'm like, you know, there's already infrastructure for trains and for planes. Like, I don't see how you're gonna. Yeah, it seemed doomed from the beginning, but I was just like, well, let's see what happens. Maybe they'll yeah. make. Maybe they'll figure it out. But apparently, they didn't. <laughs> uh, all right. Finally, um, as we uh, hopefully are winding down towards the enter end of winter in the northern parts of the country. Um, somebody posted on Twitter, uh, one of our uh, patrons, uh, Bryn Baronshausen, uh, posted a retweeted uh, a video clip from a Boston TV station of somebody driving down the highway uh, in very cold, you know, very snowy highway uh, in a convertible with the top down, um, you know, and said, uh, you know, this, this driver is living their best life. And I totally agree with uh, with that philosophy. I mean, you know, if you're if you're going to drive top down, go for it, you know, in the, in the cold. Uh, although the particular one that was posted by this, uh, by this TV station, uh, if you watch the video and, and I'll include a link to it, uh, in the show notes, if you watch the video, you'll see that, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. I think it's a Miata, but I'm not, not a hundred percent sure, but you can see the back end of this thing wiggling back and forth as it's going down the road. So clearly <laughs> this, this person is driving way too fast for the conditions, um, you know, given given how slippery the road is, you know, fine. Drive with the top down in, in, in the snow. I've I've done that before. I have no no issue with it. But you know, make sure you do it at a speed, or you know, make sure you have winter tires, um, so that you're you're doing it 
so it's still stable and safe. But that got me thinking about, um, I used to work in, I used to have a couple of, I used to have a job in Detroit and then in Dearborn and had a regular commute along I-94 between the Ann Arbor area and, and the Dearborn, Detroit area. Um, and for, for several years, at least once or twice a week, I would see this blue, light, light blue Honda S2000. Um, and the, the driver in it was a fairly tall guy. And I would see this car year-round. Like, even when we had a polar vortex, you know, it was 10 below zero, 15 below zero. And he was driving his S2000, happy as a clam, top down. <laughs> I have never seen that car with the top up. The most I, I haven't seen it for a couple of years, so I don't know if he's still doing it. But back in 2015, the Detroit Free Press did a story on this guy. They interviewed him. Um, and I've, I've got pictures of him somewhere that I took one time when I saw him. You know, always, always top down in his S2000. Um, he's, uh, he's an IT guy in, in Detroit. Um, so, what, you know, have, have you ever driven a convertible top down in winter conditions? Yes. You turn the heater on if it, yeah. ha- like, if it has heated seats. Like that's even better. Like I, I don't, you know, I've, I've had the, I've had the, <laughs> the top down. I had a Del Sol and I would drive it around LA and it would be so hot, and I would have the top down and the air conditioning blasting and I would just yell yeah. decadence as I was driving <laughs> down the road. <laughs> like that's the whole point. Like you're driving yeah. around the Bay Area, it gets really cold and really like moist. Top down, turn that heater on. It doesn't. Who cares? Who cares? Go for it. Uh, no, it's yeah, it's it's that's the whole point of the convertible is to have the to, to use the convertible bit. Um, maybe I don't know. I don't know if I've ever driven one in the snow. <laughs> the top I've, down. I've driven I've driven the autos with the top down in the snow. Uh, press cars. I don't I don't drive my own just because I don't want it exposed to salt. Yeah. Um, but you know, as soon as as soon as the snow melts and we've had a, a good rain or two to wash the salt off the road. Um, you know, I get the Miata out and I drive it top down and just like, just like turn up the heater. It's ready to party. Yeah. No, that's the whole point. And, and, and that's the whole point of the convertible is to, 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 to enjoy the elements, to enjoy the world, to have unfettered access to, to everything around you as well, as much as you can in a convertible, but more so yeah. than a regular car. <laughs> so I, I applaud anyone who's out there who's, uh, driving top down with a convertible or a roadster or whatever i applaud you you're you're just, the hero just make sure you put on suitable tires yeah yeah just and i wonder if that person was did that person know they were going to be on video i think some people like they sort of drive a little faster a little bit more aggressive when they think they're going to be on video i don't know and, and I, yeah that's uh, that's how you that i mean that's how we end up with a bunch of videos of cars and ditches um leaving a cars and coffee yeah <laughs> It's like, hey, look, there's someone shooting some video. I'm going to do a burner app ball plonk. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, during the uh, Chicago Auto Show a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with um, Steve Kosowski, who is the long-range planning and strategy manager for Kia North America. Uh, and we talked about <clears throat> what Kia is doing. You know, they were showing off the, uh, the new Sportage plug-in hybrid. Uh, they also had the EV6 there um, and, and all their other stuff. Um, and so uh, I'm going to drop that in here, my conversation with Steve Kosowski about what Kia is doing. Uh, so, Steve, um, yeah, you just heard uh, James talking a little bit about uh, you know, the, the, the Plan S, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the this, this shift for Kia as a brand. 
Um, you know, let's, let's start off with that. Where, you know, where do you see the, the Kia brand going and how do you differentiate it from your corporate uh, siblings um, that uh, will remain unnamed for the moment? <laughs> well, um, first, Sam, uh, we, should, we should circle back and get all the... Uh, clarity on the brand distinction. I, I'm much more focused on product, but the brand is, is overarching. Um, the, the way we're um, shifting the brand, um, you know, first, firstly, foundationally, it's becoming more and more electrified, which is um, lots more hybrids, lots more plug-ins, and, and a lot more battery electric vehicles. So the proportion of electrified vehicles is, is you know, just increasing. Um, by, by a magnitude every year. Um, so that changes the dynamics and the characteristics of the car, you know, power performance, fuel efficiency, how the car drives and feels. And I think a good um, sort of reference for the distinctions between the brands um, is evident in, for example, the EV6 versus its counterparts, right? Um, our EV6 is, in, you know, Sporty is an overused word, but it's much more um, bold, distinctive, original. Some say it's radical and um, more dynamic looking. Yeah, right. And so, you know, it, it rides on a, a shorter wheelbase. The driving dynamics are a little different. Hi, Michael. Yeah, I've just been listening to you guys. Okay. I can learn some. Okay. So, um, so I think that sort of execution on EGMP characterizes how you can make the cars feel different using the same uh, bits and pieces, right? And if you look at, for example, look at the Sportage versus its counterpart. Um, you know, the Sportage has a very unique, distinct uh, character in its design, mm-hmm. form language, and execution, uh, but yet it rides on the N3 architecture, right? So, and then there's other, you know, look at, for example, Sereno versus Santa Fe, those kinds of things. So, I think you know the brand folks can, can specifically talk about the brand distinctions, but the character, the character of the cars, I think, is really um, uh, messaging how the brands are different. Right? Maybe we're more youthful, we're more dynamic, um, maybe maybe even a little more techy in some respects. Whereas the other brand is more mainstream, something like that. But I can't speak for the other brands. I'm yeah. position. No, and, and I mean you, you can you know driving the the, the, the various vehicles across the, the brands you, you can you can feel some of that distinction you can I mean so you can certainly see it uh, you know in the character of the, the design but you can also feel it in you know, in terms of some of the choices made uh, you know how how things are, are executed um, so um, let's dive a little deeper into the whole electrification strategy uh, certainly you know, Kia's been uh, doing some really impressive things with electrification going back more than a decade now right. to when the original Optima hybrid yeah. and, and the plug-in hybrid launched and yeah. you know, and then later the, um, the Nero uh, and now the, the EGMP, uh, the Soul EV you know, yeah. was, it was a great option in its, you know, its yeah. time when it was available yeah. here. Um, so where, you know, um, where do you see kind of the, the mix and the choices for Kia as as you go more and more electric, um, you know, between hybrid, plug-in hybrid, battery electric. Firstly, thanks for recognizing our our history. Uh, we used that point actually in some discussions recently that we 
you know, we have more than a decade's worth of electrification going back to the Optima Hybrid, and even before that, with uh, if you remember the Ray EV in, uh -huh. in Korea, and even before that, there's been lots of efforts in Korea. There was a Forte Hybrid and a Rio Hybrid, and even Sam, as far back as the Seoul Olympics. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the EV van that we had. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, okay. Anyways, um, so as I mentioned, um, more and more electrification. Um, in every subsequent year, and that's more hybrids, more plug-in hybrids, and more battery, battery electric. So each one of those powertrain disciplines um, will see more and more applications across the range uh, for a variety of reasons. One is, you know, we, we have a decarbonization plan, right, um, through the end of the decade, actually beyond that. But so that means more electrification, naturally. Um, and I'm not at liberty to reveal, you know, which cars are going to get hybrids at what time, or which cars are going to get PHEVs and so forth. But the point is, um, the proportion of our volume that's electrified will be increasing. The point I think we can all agree on is it's up and yeah, to the right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. And so, um, you know, a lot of that, uh, frankly, is, is, is driven by um, market interest. Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, rapidly increasing market interest in EVs. Some some OEMs, uh, as a matter of fact, Tesla, you saw, they saw what they referred to as a profound awakening uh -huh. uh, for battery electric vehicles. We're sensing it right now with uh, EV6. You have people on forums who are, who are checking the, the cargo vessel, the shipping vessel destinations, uh -huh. so they can match that with a local dealer, call them and get a car. And so, to me, that's, that's a good barometer. Um, and then there's a lot of other syndicated data, Sam, that I don't know if you read it or follow it, but it definitely shows legitimate... I, I write some of it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, you're right. Of course you do. That's right. So you know that there's legitimate interest yeah. in the market, right? So we sense that. Um, but a battery electric vehicle may or may not work for everybody, and degrees of electrification um, are starting to proliferate. People like hybrids. They like uh, plug-in hybrids. And these cars keep getting better and better and better in terms of efficiency and refinement and dynamics and, and, and um, um, integration. So we're aligned with that, right? So uh, I hope I'm answering uh -huh. some of your questions. Yeah. So um, at least through this decade, you expect you know, a significant proportion of Kia sales to continue to have a, a mix of hybrid, plug-in hybrid, as well as battery electric. Right. Uh, volumes. Right. Um, you know, one of the one of the challenges I think for for a lot of consumers, um, you know, as good as your your plug-in vehicles have been, and you know, I I have often recommended the the Nero electric, you know, as an option for somebody that's looking for Thank you, you know, for for an EV, you know, with a reasonable amount of range, you know, at a relatively reasonable price point, uh, is just availability. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your plug-in vehicles have been limited to the California and the other ZEV states. That's not 100% true. So okay. the PHEVs are 50 states. Are, okay. Yeah, and the EVs have been more than ZEV states because you have okay. Washington, Texas, Georgia, Hawaii, right? right? Plus a few, a few of the key markets. Right, right. But states. as of March of last year, they've been all 50. Okay. Yeah, so, 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 so the EV6 uh, yeah, launch is going to be... All, okay, yeah. well, that's and, right to here. And Nero EV as of, like I said, March of okay. 21. As a matter of fact, in February of 21, we sent a letter to all the dealers and said, you know, we're going all in on EVs. Um, 
we, we want you to get ready on chargers tools and training. We even offered some um, subsidization for that. So um, by I think it was uh, June. If you if you double check the folk registrations, you can see that. Even okay. At, and mind you, it's like one or two that were in North Dakota and whatnot, but but yeah. pretty much all the dealers are are uh, on board. So well, that, that's great to hear that you know the, the availability is, is much wider because that you know that that has been a challenge you know for obviously uh, in the past uh, and, and yes. still is. Um, what about um, supply constraints? Um, you know, on, you know, are are you are you able to meet the, the demand that you're seeing from customers walking into Kia dealerships for your plugins? Yeah, so so a couple things. One is um, we did, you know, we launched Nero EV, uh, and then we got supply constraints. And our dream and our volume aspirations were 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 um, cut a little bit. And some of that is related to battery supply, which has been resolved, and some of that related to. Um, uh, other other factors. You know, Europe really needed some cars more more than than we did, but um, that's changed. As a matter of fact, um, this year, actually last year, the Nero EV volume was way up over the pr- previous year, like 2.3 or 2.4x. Um, so so we got our supply. We really cranked up the EVs, and that's the same with um, EV6, right? So you, you've probably seen Sam that in Korea there's a 13-month waiting list, right? Mm-hmm. And, and even GV60, I think, is, is six months. But we double-checked this, and, and basically we're told that you know our volume plan is earmarked; it, it won't be diverted or cut or whatever. Um, as long as you get the chips you need. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And, and that's you know that's that's a legitimate. Uh, Hang up. There's, you know, there's little bits and pieces on the car that we, for example, the pop-out door handles. We wanted to put them across the board, but that takes processing power, right. and so you have to step back and manage your product plan accordingly. So, but we're confident and comfortable that our supply, be it chips and batteries and everything we need for EV6, uh, is in place, and we're going to get the cars we need. Um, it, it, it may or may not meet demand. Again, demand for these cars is is really strong. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's a good problem to have. You know, and you know, unfortunately, because of the semiconductor shortages, you know, that that's a challenge that everybody is facing it right. pretty much across the board. Right. Is, you know, getting enough enough to meet demand, uh, but at least at least on the the battery front, it sounds like your your battery supplies have gotten to the point where you're able to build what you want for yes. different markets. Yes. So, um, and then the the Nero, uh, you know, recently revealed a new Nero in Korea. I think um, when um, when's that coming to North America? Is that later this year or next year? Twenty? Uh, I, I don't know that we're confirmed it yet. Okay. Yeah. It might not come. Okay. You never know. And and the fact that I've seen them running around, you know, near <laughs> near the Ann Arbor Tech Center is completely <laughs> irrelevant. Right. Until we buy a ticket, we're not necessarily yeah. in the show. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, what Michael said. Yeah. This tape or something. There'll be a moment. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there always is. If yeah. you made a guess it was coming, if that's your guess. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be fine. Okay. Good. Good to hear. Um, all right. Um, uh, one. One. I guess one other area that um, you know within the larger group. Um, you know that Kia has not been involved in up to this point is uh, is fuel cell technology. Um, is that 
something that uh, is ever likely to be part of the, the Kia lineup in the, in the next decade? So, uh, I have a specific answer on that. Yeah. If you have one, that's okay. Please, you uh, first, so if, if you want to expand on this, mm-hmm. it's all right. Mm-hmm. We were told that there will be a Kia hydrogen vehicle in the future. Okay. We've been told that from HQ. If that's what you were going to say, good. We have more than that. Okay, but that's... Yeah, we were told that a couple of months ago. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to defer to Michael uh, on that. Um, I didn't say in this country. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. That's an important point. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that is that is an important stipulation. Yeah. So yeah. As you, obviously Korea, you know, the, the Korean market, you know, has had more support for fueling infrastructure, which has been a challenge here. That's where exa- exactly where I was going, Sam. Is yeah. the um, our parent company and our own engineering is really good at fuel cells, as you know, uh-huh. and. Um, they have multiple efforts in multiple different segments around the world. Some's commercial, some's retail, um, some stationary, and um, very, very confident and, and very, very uh, good at that technology. Um, and we sense here uh, that um, there is potential, but it may be more focused. And I'm not speaking of key. I'm speaking of the market. Maybe more focused on. Um, commercial on trucks, uh, but that's all contingent on fueling infrastructure, and that's been that's been a hang-up, let's yeah. be clear, and there aren't enough stations. Uh, we know from reports on um, other brands and other products that that part of the ownership experience is, has been a headache, and so uh, that's just one part of it. The other part of it relates to dealer readiness, right? You know um, they're... Uh, that, that's hard enough with battery electric vehicles. Exactly. Just a couple of years ago, there's a great article you probably read it in Automotive News where they interviewed Longo Toyota. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read it, but did, if you didn't, yeah, I think, right. Yeah. And so he talked about it was um, $958,000 for dealership readiness for service and, and, and repair and everything else. And um, I, I think in the context of our um, go-to-market plans, our current electrification plan, hybrid plug-in hybrids in, in you know, shifting mainly to battery electric, um, that's a uh, call. That's that's a uh, less resistive path mm-hmm. Be- because of the infrastructure and because of the dealer readiness. So, um, in the end, Sam, look, the uh, the engineering and the technology is really good. Um, our company is very agile. Um, if there's opportunities, we see. You know, we can we can prove a business case. Great, but um, our our plan S is really focused on um, battery electric, plug-in hybrid, and, and hybrid. So um, one one last uh, area you referred to, you know, less resistant, you know, reducing friction. Um, you know, one of the the pain points with EVs uh, can be charging. Um, you know, some companies are uh, doing some things with um, aggregating uh, multiple charging networks through a single interface. Uh, others you know, have invested directly in charging infrastructure, um, and then uh, one of the things again within within the larger group, I know uh, engineers at the tech center in Ann Arbor have done a lot of work with wireless charging. There's a pilot going on with GB60 in, in South Korea. Um, is that something that you see as uh, a potential thing that might make its way into? Do you see uh, potential for that within the Kia lineup, as uh, particularly for plug-in hybrids? which often, I know from studies that have been done, a lot of people that buy plug-in hybrids 
don't actually plug them in, which yeah. means you're wasting that battery yeah. and you're dragging around extra weight and yeah. you're not getting the benefit that you could. Yeah. Um, I hear you, Sam. And, you know, um, a lot of it just relates to the plug-in hybrid buyer who doesn't want to put a charger in at home or it's kind of a pain or he, he doesn't see a need to do it. Uh, we sense that, too. And personally, um, we, we understand the criticality of charging, right? So, for example... Um, we have an offer with ChargePoint that's coming on the uh, EV6, right? So if you get an EV6 first edition, you had a choice between a ChargePoint Flex, a thousand kilowatt hours of Electrify America Energy, or Apple iWatch. So, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, is an indicator of our understanding of the need for charging, particularly a battery electric home EV charging. Uh, the second part relates to the uh, Electrify America thousand kilowatt hours of energy that comes with it. Maybe the third part relates to um, the ultra-fast DC charging on the EV6 and the fact that we've had standard DC charging on all of our EVs since the sole EV. So we we totally get um, the need for charging and the criticality for charging at home and in, in the public space. Uh, with respect to app, app aggregation, firstly, uh, we are, you know, the new Kia Access app uh, in Kia Connect. Um, those are fresh redesigns, um, and we, we, we totally understand what other automakers have done and, and why that can work where everything is integrated, right, from my Kia Access app. Or, um, but it's, it's, um, it's a lot of engineering work, and, um, but I'll, I'll leave it at this, Sam, that we understand the need for it. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, stay tuned. Um, and then the um, other part related to um, like infrastructure or public infrastructure, that's another one where um, there are a lot of um, initiatives in the marketplace that are happening. And um, we're very cognizant of, of the need, we're very cognizant of the, um, what works. And uh, sort of how to do it, I guess you could put it that way. And uh, but we're not we're not ready to announce anything. And I think that um, any any kind of broader infrastructure effort um, or announcement or uh, plan um, is 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 a little further out. Yeah. What about wireless? Is that something you think could be of some value to? So the wi- yes. So the wireless is another interesting one. Um, I don't know if you if you dug into this, Sam, but many years ago we had a project with Mojo Mobility, uh-huh. and that was the same deal, which is the plate on the floor and the plate on the bottom of the car. Yep. And we gave them, I think, 19 sole EVs, and they experimented with it with Hachi. And um, we see the merit in that. In other words, to your point, if I can just drive my EV or PHEV in the garage and not have to lift a finger, that's beautiful. Uh, but there's complications that arise, and here's, here's, here's what we've learned. Firstly, um, it's not cheap. That hardware is two to $3,000, and it seems like it's been two to $3,000 for 10 years. The, costs, the cost reductions aren't really, we're not, we're not seeing the cost reductions we need. The second part is that um, there's various different ways to execute this, right? You can have a, a thing come out of the car. You can have something lift up. Uh, there's no one complete standard way to do this, right? There's there's half a dozen different companies that have wireless charging solutions all with their own way. 
So it feels like if you're going to do this, the only real place you're going to do this is at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this maybe the third or fourth part is that um, we realized that when when you execute this, there's hardware that goes on the car and it's it's heavy, mm-hmm. and you have to package protect for it, and it's in the front of the car, which means you have to crash, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to engineer around this. And a lot of the times. Um, it's not easy to put that much mass or that much volume in the front of the car and not have it affect the, um, the crash performance. So that's another part of it. So in the end, you step back and you're like, wait a second. We're going to put mass forward of the axle line, and we got a package protect for it, and it's expensive. And this is all because the customer doesn't want to take 10 seconds to put the... the it's a lot more complicated than just putting your electric ex- toothbrush on the stand ex- at Exactly, night. exactly. And that's the frustration. But, you know, what we do see is that the wireless charging concept uh, and the performance is remarkable. You know, the charging speeds are getting better. The devices are getting smaller. Um, and maybe the hope is that in the future, someday, maybe we will. But in the near term, um, it's, it's a lot of complication and cost... Um, that a lot of customers, like customers would say, okay, if, if, the co- if, if, if it's going to cost the customer $2,500, is it really worth it? And it may, be, it may work for other luxury brands, and I get that. That's pretty cool. But a customer might step back and say, look, I'm, I'm paying 35000 for a plug-in hybrid for $600 or $700 or 1000 I can put a, a charge point flex in my house, and I'm good to go. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the balance. It just, it just depends. So Hyundai has a pilot program right now, so mm. wireless. Mm. Yeah, mm. and I know Genesis on the GB60 has a program. That's through electricity. Yeah. There, right. There. I was in the, the wireless space for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, your uh, momentum dynamics before. Good memory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything you said is what I said to momentum when I joined. It's great. You've got to get rid of all those problems and yeah. you've, got, you've got a model. But the other model there is high-use stuff. So if a vehicle is constantly in service, like a shuttle or a bus or a taxi. Yeah, and, and I think those you know, those are much potentially much more interesting applications for that technology. Yeah, because then yeah. you can get rid of the driver. Yeah. And you can have this thing shuttling between two maglev points. Yeah. And the car, the vehicle is charging itself. Yeah. It doesn't have to be dynamic. It can be static either side. There is a standard 1772 is the standard. But not everybody agrees with that. Momentum can't quite meet it, so they're trying to do something else. Yeah. It's a really interesting space. It's what you would want to do. It's how I charge now. Yeah, I, I do the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, but charging a car is different to his point. The bit we could never get over is, you know, the vision was to have him at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you've got to charge a Mini Cooper next to an F-150. Where do, you, where do you line it up in the parking spot? Yeah. So public charging, just on vehicle dimensions, is really difficult. Yeah. Because uh, I think moment, I think Whitechester put the bait into the standard because they kind of built it that it goes in a certain spot in the centre of the vehicle. Well, that's fine, but if you're an F one fifty, your front end is now through the front of the Starbucks. Like it's mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. Sim, what, what's your view? I mean. No, I, I, I agree with, with what you said. You know, I mean, I, I've done you know, a couple of different studies over the years on wireless charging. And, uh, you know, it, it, while it, it absolutely has potential, especially for certain applications like, for example, a transit bus that, you know, um, you know along its route might have several stops where it's sitting idle for a few minutes. 
you know, and a, a high-powered wireless pad there where it stopped, you know, could keep a, an electric bus going all day long. Um, but you know, I, I think for the most part, for for light-duty vehicles, for consumer vehicles, it's the cost, as you said, is a is a problem. Certainly, you know, the packaging and the crash protection is, is a challenge. Um, and uh, you know, the, the things that Mike just talked about, um, you know, in terms of how you standardize the positioning, you know, if at all, uh, especially for public charging, you know, it becomes a real challenge. Yep. And you know, it's it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough enough just with with wired uh, charging, you know, getting everybody on the same page. You know, we're we're getting there with that, uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, with, with Chatamo, you know, hopefully fading away in North America, you know, we're down to, down to two standards, um, and, and maybe at some point in the future, even one. Right, right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, char- charging, you know, uh, from the studies we've done at Guidehouse, uh, the consumer surveys we've done, charging, uh, you know, is two of the top three barriers to EV adoption that we've found. Yeah. Are charging related, both availability and time to charge. Yeah. And then the other one being the price of the vehicles. Yeah. And so, making progress on the price, uh, availability is getting much better. Yeah. And time to charge, thanks to things like 800 volt electrical yeah. systems, is, yeah. is also getting much better. So, yeah. we're, we're making progress on all those fronts. And, you know, we, we're, we're at a point now where, you know, the number of EV options is exploding. You know, yeah. we've gone from a few months ago 20 EV nameplates in North America. Or in the U.S. market, to, to 31. You know, yeah, and you know, we'll be at 40 by the end of this year. Yeah, and probably close to double that again by the end of next year. Yeah, uh, you know, different kinds of vehicles, different price points. You know, so now you've gone from a very limited number of options if you wanted an EV to be able to choose the kind of vehicle you want and get it in an EV. I couldn't agree more, Sam. It's it's you know, people talk about a tipping point or an inflection point, and it's, it's happening right before our eyes with. Vehicles like the EV6 and, and uh, more and more EV SUVs coming, which is what the U.S. market wants in pickup trucks, right? And so it feels like the um, the market finally the the product is what the U.S. market needs, and I think we're only going to see more of that, and that's going to feed on itself. Like I'm sure your research proves this, but what we found is that um, the last time we checked this, it was about 25% of the U.S. market said I'm 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 in for an EV. And, okay, the fact of the matter is 3.2% actually wrote the check last year, okay? But every prior year to that 25% was maybe 20 and 18 and 15, so it, it's, it's, it's increasing. And then what you have is when you start to filter that for, I own an EV and I'm going to buy it, what are you going to buy next? It, it rises to 90% and 91%. And I, my point is, the people who are in EVs are never going back. And the, the more and more electrification you add into that sample, the more and more interest they have in buying another electrified car. And in a sense, it's feeding on itself. And now, again, with, with a, a really strong mix of utilities, and that's sort of writ large, that's vans, that's pickups, but mainly mainstream um, EV SUVs, um, that proportion of the U.S. Um, buying public has so many good choices now and it's only going to get better so I, we, we think we're very uh, positive and optimistic on it and uh, um, it's good to be a part of it yeah now now, now the, the the big challenge for everybody in the industry is to 
keep up with uh, demand for battery production and, yes. and the materials that go into those batteries yes. and recycling those materials. Yes, um, you know that's that's going to be the, the big challenge in the coming decade. We've got a lot of a lot of battery plants going in. Yeah, and uh, now we got to have the we've got to feed them with something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Michael and I we, we talked about this a little bit with um, uh, EV6, and you know our, our, our parent company in Korea has. Uh, Recycling efforts in place uh, with SK, mm-hmm. SKI, um, you know, sort of a circle of life approach to uh, use and reuse and, and so forth, and, and taking those minerals and materials and reusing them again and again and again. Do you uh, do you expect to um, start producing some electrified vehicles in uh, in Georgia at some point in the not too distant future? I, I would defer to Michael yeah. on that. We haven't confirmed it. Be nice to. Uh, it's about balancing lines, you know. Yeah. All right. So, yep. Okay. So well, thank you so much for your time. You're Steve. welcome, Sam. Thanks. Great Thanks a lot. You. Thank you. Uh, All right, and we're back, and let's answer some listener questions. Uh, we've got uh, several of them this week, so let's start off with at Albert Beck ninety one. Uh, Albert asks: uh, Is the opportunity for a cheap new car gone forever? With dealer discounts, we've bought four new cars for less. Uh, than thirteen thousand in the last four years, uh, they got an eighteen Chevy Cruze for thirteen, an eighteen Fiesta, Ford Fiesta for eleven, uh, a nineteen Fiesta for twelve and a half, uh, and a twenty Nissan Versa for thirteen thousand. With rising MSRP and no discounts, lots of folks may be priced out of a new car. What do you think? I think it's going to be a few years before we start seeing those big discounts again. On you know, this is drive off for only twelve thousand dollars, or you know, those you know. Instant cash, you know, all that's that uh, those those sort of fun things. Just because of the the supply chain issue and the the chip issue, they're they're barely making enough cards to meet demand. And even and actually, they're, in most cases, they're not even meeting demand. Um, and dealerships have no uh, incentive in order to get cars off lot because they can't get any cars on lot. So it's you know it's it's, it's a supply and demand issue. Um, I hope that in a few years we we can get back to you know giving having cars that like people can buy, um, like just regular working folk. Uh, um, I, I I I do have a I am a, a little excited about the fact that the Maverick starts at like twenty thousand um, dollars. It's the it's the, and, it ha- and it has a hybrid, so you get like some good mileage. You're getting a, a low cost. Um, and a pretty good, you know, and, and a good utility, utilitarian vehicle. So you could buy that for, that could be your car, is this 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 truck that is uh, that's inexpensive compared to everything else on the, out that that's coming on out there. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be at least a few years before we see because, the automakers are going to make the things are going to build the things that make them the most money right now, and the dealerships are going to mark everything up, and the transition to EVs means that they're going to be. For a little while, they're not going to be making as much money as they were before, so we have to kind of yeah. There's a couple there's a couple things working against a really cheap car, um, but hopefully in a few years it'll we can we can get something that people can afford without you know five year loans um, on on some dealer lots. Yeah, and uh, you know we've we've talked about uh, you know the dealer markups and stuff before. Um, you know, obviously, you know the limited supply and inventories right now is making it tough to find a good deal on anything. Um, you know there are still some relatively cheaper cars available. Um, you're not likely to find discounts on any of them right now, uh, 
but you know you can still get things like the Hyundai Accent for you know about sixteen and a half uh, sticker price. Um, the Nissan Versa starts at fifteen. Um, there's the the Mitsubishi Mirage, and you know, and there's a few others out there that are you know at that low end of the market. You know, even cheaper than excuse me, cheaper than the Maverick. Um, you know, the Maverick you know is is a great choice, but you know, obviously that starts at twenty and goes up from there. Yeah. Um, so, and you're gonna you're probably gonna have a tough time getting one for twenty grand, uh, although my next door neighbor did. Um, so, uh, I think you know it's gonna be tougher in the future, you know, to get those kinds of discounts and, and be able to negotiate on pricing, um, because even when the supply chain issues do subside. You know, I think manufacturers increasingly are going to try and keep a tighter, tighter rein on on balancing production with sales, um, and and you know have less inventory at dealerships. You know, you're going to have this, I think, permanent shift towards more, um, you know, more people order, doing factory orders of what they of the specific vehicle they want, and having less vehicles available and in dealer inventories to choose from. You know, and that's when you, when they've got a lot of cars in inventory, that's when you can get those good deals. And I think that everybody is going to try to avoid that in the future. Um, you know, they, they like being able to, to sell them at sticker uh, or above, unfortunately, in some cases. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tough to get those kinds of deals, especially on a new car. Yeah. Sad times. Yep. All right. Ask. Uh, or at Surtur says, uh, I've only owned three cars in about 30 years of driving. Is that weird? No. I owned my my 90 Honda Civic for like 15 years. And I, my wife had some cars. We had some cars that, my, uh, that were my wife's uh, over that time. But really, uh, yeah, I had that car forever. And so... Um, I think if you're if you have a car, if you're, I mean, let's say your average is ten years per car. That's a pretty sweet deal because that means mm-hmm. you love a car, or you like a car, or at least you you can you can you can stomach a car for ten years. <laughs> they get you around. You're taking care of it. It's doing a good job. Yeah, it also you, means for most of that time you probably don't have any car payments. Yeah, you're you're in the you're in the gravy years. If you yeah. have a three year loan, it's seven years of gravy. That's Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I I I wholly endorse that philosophy. I mean, I've I've been, you know, I've I've been I've owned my own vehicles for what uh, thirty six years now, thirty five, thirty six years. You know, since I I bought my first one of my own. You know, rather than driving my dad's one of my dad's cars, um, and in that time, I've owned five vehicles. Yeah. See. <laughs> so. And that you know that includes two Mustangs, a Dodge Stratus, the the '84 GMC S15 uh, that I had through college, and my Miata. Yeah. You know, so, it, you know, we you know we keep our cars you know usually eight to ten years or more. Um, and I think, you know, I think the vast majority of people actually do tend to keep their cars for a lot longer. Um, I mean, mo- the reality is most people never buy new cars anyway. Most people only buy used cars, yeah. and you know they tend to keep them running as long as they can. Um, you know, in the U.S. we sell about three times, three and a half times as many used cars every year as we do new cars. So um, yeah, it's it's actually not it's more unusual to be swapping cars every two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I think we've we've I've the only new cars we've ever had are the 
the two leases that we've had, and that's the Fiat 500 and the um, the Honda. I'm sorry, the Hyundai Kona EV. Everything else I've ever purchased has been used. I don't. I've never like just except for my Vespa. Vespa we bought new. <laughs> but that's not a car anyway. So it's not a car. So I don't know how that much that how that counts. All right. Andrew Pappas asks, uh, what bad car do you have an <clears throat> irrational love for? I want a Citroen X11 in the worst way. Problem is, most of them were cobbled together by the general uh, in the worst way. Oh, Citation X11. Sorry, I misread that. He wants a Chevy Citation X11. And, uh, he says most were cobbled together by the general in the worst way. So for those not, not familiar with the Citation, this was the uh, came out in 1980. Uh, it was one of the first batch of uh, GM's front-wheel drive X cars. They're compact X cars. Um, yeah, it was. It's a car. Was, yeah, <laughs> had, had four wheels most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> what? So what's what's your what what bad car do you love? Oh, the dog is very upset about this question. Um, I really have to think about. Did you have a car? I mean, you tell me your car, and then okay. while I try to think of something that I that I want that I know is is bad for me, like like a candy bar of some sort of car. The the, the Triumph TR7. All right, yeah, the, that's the, a that's the, a. The, the TR7 came out in '75. You know, I was a kid when it came out. I I remember the the ads for it. You know, the magazines and on TV. You know, it was the 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 wedge, the shape of things to come, um, which it, apparently it was not, um, and. <laughs> You know, I, it was, it, it was built, you know, at probably the, the, the depths of, you know, the British car industry in terms of quality and reliability. Um, it was not well put together. You know, if you thought that X11 was built by the general in the worst way, you should try uh, a British car of that era. Um, but when I was in high school, my, uh, my auto shop teacher, uh, bought a used one from his brother uh, that was not running. <clears throat> and um, I got to spend a lot of time working on that car uh, over a couple over the span of a couple of years and really developed a, 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 an irrational love for. I, you know what? I, I, I think I've, I figured out the car. Um, the AMC Eagle. <laughs> the because original it's just, crossover. The original You know what? Because it looks like a micro machine. And like yeah. it's like this, like the, the micro machines have the like kind of biggish wheels, and they're kind of raised up. The AMC Eagle kind of looks like a micro machine. <laughs> um, it's I've never seen more than four of them um, on the road at the same time ever. Um, I've seen a lot of them in in um, in front of houses with like things growing on them. And <laughs> um, uh, I had a I had a, a friend, a guitarist, who had one. And um, it did. It wasn't good, uh, but it was just so, just such an odd, weird thing. This, the, Do you have the, a body style preference? I like the just the, the just the regular old sedan, not the, the and, and usually I'm you know I like wagons, but the just the the sedan because it looks just even more ridiculous. <laughs> it's just it's everything about this vehicle is just ridiculous. Um, it looks out of place. Uh, especially at the time, you know, in the the late seventies, early eighties, it just looked wrong, and there were a bunch of them. I mean, today home. it would be it would fit right in. Oh yeah, today is it's fine. I mean, today it's it, fine. It, it, Subaru basically took that concept and did it right with the Outback. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's it is it, AMC. 
<laughs> AMC weird. took the Hornet and stuffed a Jeep four-wheel drive power uh, drivetrain underneath it and jacked it up a little bit. And exactly. that was the Eagle. That was the Eagle. It is. It's uh Again, it's it's a car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like. Apparently, I like there the, were there uh, were convertibles at some point. I, I've never seen a convertible. I've only <sighs> mostly seen the sedan. But I'm looking at a picture of a, a an AMC 1981 AMC uh, convertible. I think, somebody. Yeah, I think they might have done a limited run of those with like American Sunroof or uh, one of those companies that did some convertible conversions. It's like the Nissan Murano convertible. Where it's like, what? Yeah. What? Why? That's that's exactly what the AMC Eagle convertible is like. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, the, the AMC oh, yeah. Eagle wagon. It's um, if I had one, I'd be like, this is awesome. Until it broke down at, like ten minutes after I I got in to, to, the, <laughs> to the driver's side. Um, yeah, it's such a it's it's just ridiculous. I don't. Good job, AMC. Way to just you know go for it. Hey, I mean they were they They're were ahead just of their ahead time. of their time. Exactly. They're ahead of their time. It's like the I think I talked about the the Baja and the Brat in an article recently, yeah. where both of those were sort of ahead of their time. Like the Brat came out, it was it did all right, and then it went away, and then mini trucking happened, and you're like, oh, we missed it, and then the Baja came out because everyone's like, bring back the Brat, and they brought back the they they introduced the Baja, and then everyone's like, bring back the Brat. Nah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no one bought it, and then it went away, and now small trucks are coming back, and you're, and you know, Subaru is just like, oh, come on, and now the Baja, you know, before the the whole supply chain issues, the prices on used Bajas were going up, so I wonder what the AMC uh, Eagles prices are now that we have crossovers everywhere. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before the Baja comes back now, especially if the Maverick and the Santa Cruz do well. Yeah, we need to bring it back. Bring it back as an EV. Yep. There you go. Uh, all right. Let's see. Gifted Napper asks, I uh, thought of you guys when somebody posted this in the mock e-forms as a way to fool the uh, Ford driving assistants. Uh, seems Ford owners have joined Tesla owners in the same unsafe workarounds. Totally agree with, with you that capacitive steering wheels should be standard. Um, and so I'll, I'll put a link to this, uh, this Twitter um, post <clears throat> in here. But it's a picture of, uh, of mock e steering wheel. Um, and there's a, a mask hang, uh, wrapped around the, the right-hand side spoke uh, with a key fob and some other stuff hanging from you know, on a carabiner from the, the straps of the mask. Um, and the idea here is when you're using the, uh, the co-pilot, the hands-on co-pilot 360 feature, because uh, the, the Blue Cruise uh, hands-free feature is only available on certain limited or uh, uh, divided highways. So you can't use it on other roads, but you can turn on the, the Copilot 360 lane keeping assist anywhere. Uh, but you ha- you're supposed to keep your hands on the wheel. And so, you know, this is like, you know, Tesla owners that stuff water bottles or oranges into the, you know, between the spokes of their steering wheel. And just please don't Stop. don't do this. Don't it's, ever do this. The feeding, it's, it's like when people like, like people. I remember seeing the J.C. Whitney catalog, like a thing where you could hold down, like a mechanism where you could hold down the accelerator so you would have, like, like cruise control-ish. <laughs> I was just like, what? And as a kid, I remember seeing this as a kid. I'm like, well, this is just a bad idea. <laughs> like, what happened? There were a lot of bad ideas in the J.C. Whitney catalog. Yeah, the J.C. Whitney catalog was just a, 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 
a, a pile of bad ideas. But yeah, don't, 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 because you're putting like every, you, you're putting yourself, you're putting your, your, your family, your friends, anyone else is in the car, and then other people on the road all at risk because you don't want to put your hand on the wheel. How lazy are you? Maybe you shouldn't even be driving if you're that. Yeah. <laughs> take an Uber. Take an Uber. Get a or a bus take, or a bus or a hyperloop. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Call a friend. Give him 20 bucks to drive you around. <laughs> okay. Um, finally, Nth Degree Burns asks, what's the one car accessory you have in every car that you own? Uh, I buy Lloyd rubber, t- rubber tie um, custom floor mats for all my cars since I have dogs and I'm bad at, about tracking in mud and dirt. Uh, I have them in my Chrysler Town & Country cargo area and everywhere in my Ram 1500. That I, every car... I don't know. I don't think I. I just sort of live with it. <laughs> I'd say the, the the only the, the only accessory that's in that's been in all of our cars for years is a USB cable. Yeah, that's pretty much it. A USB cable I mean, or my wife's got all kinds of holder. stuff in her in her car. Yeah. But, um, you know, shopping bags. You know, things like that. Reusable shopping bags, but um, USB cable is the only common thread across all of them. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anything else that I've put in like every single car. I, I haven't even, I still haven't swapped out the stereo in my BRZ because I'm just <laughs> like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Cause I'm more interested in what the car is doing and like, well, it's making music. I mean, I should be able to, to like get text messages from my wife and listen to all my music without, you know, having to use my phone or the weird BRZ infotainment system that you kind of have to stab really hard in order to go to the next song. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I don't. I guess I think there's um, the the one the one other accessory that my wife, you know, and I've generally not had these in my cars, but my wife likes to have a, a sunshade in her car um, that you put across the windshield. So when she oh, so it doesn't car, crack park, the. Well, no, just so if um, you know if it's parked in the sun somewhere, uh, so you don't get as much solar heat load. In the cabin, oh. so it stays a, so a reflective sun shield. So it yeah, just yeah. goes. It's usually one of those ones that you. It's got the the spring frame that you you put it together. Oh yeah, just twist it, <laughs> twist it yeah. as opposed to the foldy like like yeah. nap ones where you're just like flop 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 flop, and then you just got like a big giant piece of aluminum foil, <laughs> bubbly yeah. aluminum foil in your car. Yeah, so that's that's something that my wife has always kept in 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 her cars over the years. I should get these custom floor mats though, because of the dogs. I do like rubber floor mats. Anytime I get a, a a vehicle in and it has like the rubber floor mats, I get a little bit excited. I'm like, yeah, this is how your car is supposed to be. I, I do I do have a seat cover that I that I put in uh, whenever we go somewhere with Daisy, uh, or previous prior to that with Rosie. You know, just it just hooks over the headrest and you know basically like kind of a sort of a rubberized canvas thing but i don't keep that in the car i only put it in when we're going somewhere with the dog yeah there you go yeah i I like the little rubberized we have like a things in the back that we put in for the dog but we should get some rubberized stuff just because it just makes a lot more sense all right well that's it for this week um thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time bye all right boop a doop a doo
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.